Oliver Sacks was a British neurologist, naturalist, historian of science, and best-selling author. Many of you likely know him from his books, The Man Who Confuses His Wife for a Hat, and Awakenings, which was made into a, a film starring Robin Williams and Robert De Niro. Although his primary work was in neurology, Sachs was a regular contributor to The New Yorker, to the London Review of Books, and the New York Times, the latter of which referred to him as the poet laureate of contemporary medicine. He had honorary degrees from 11 universities, little places like Oxford, Columbia. He has a planet named after him. For his services to medicine, the Queen of England gave Sachs the title of Commander of the Order of the British Empire. I don't know what that, what that entails. It sounds like something out of the Star Wars, but it's clear that Oliver Sachs was no slouch. He was one of the greatest minds of our times. One morning, Oliver Sacks met with his psychiatrist, a man with whom he had met twice a week for the last several years. A few minutes after he left the office, Sacks walked down the lobby and encountered what he called a soberly dressed man who greeted him affectionately. Sachs could not place the stranger, but the man gave the impression that he knew him. Sachs had no idea where he had met him, if at all, and then as he was searching his memory, the doorman greeted the other man by name. It was his analyst the man with whom he had just spent an hour alone in close quarters, a man he had known for years. Oliver Sacks, one of the greatest minds of our time, suffered from a condition known as prosopagnosia, or more commonly known as face blindness. Have you guys heard of this? Roughly 2% of the global population suffers from this disorder. It is a cognitive disorder in which people do not have the ability to recognize familiar faces. In many cases, even their own. How creepy would that be to look in the mirror and be like, who's that? <laughs> in all other respects, people with face blindness are fully functional. This week, Jesus encounters spiritual face blindness. He's with people who cannot recognize the divine at work even when God is right in front of them. Let's rewind and consider our context. This is week three of the Bread of Life discourse in John. That discourse began with the feeding of the 5,000 and has been expanding upon it. John conducts a thorough investigation on what it means that Jesus took five loaves and two fish and fed over 5,000 people. 
We've heard Jesus discuss the limitless abundance of God's love. We've heard how all signs point to Jesus, God with us, im anu el. And last week, we learned from Jesus what it means to feed the bears, what it is to eat trash, and what it is to live on the bread of life. This week, Jesus gets interrupted. People say, hang on a minute. Don't I know you? You're Jesus. We know your mom. We know your dad. We know you. Remember, Jesus has fed thousands of people and walked on water. But these folks don't care. They know him. They are certain they know him. Here again, Jesus reveals the trappings of certitude. Did you notice how Elijah encounters certitude? Elijah's gone off the deep into, into the wilderness. He is exhausted. He is certain that he will die. Common sense would say that he is right. But God has another plan. God has a few ancient cliff bars stashed away for him. And with that little bit of heavenly goodness, Elijah goes another 40 days after he thinks he is going to die. Abundance. The bread of heaven that sustains us through surprise. interesting thing about certitude is how it limits surprise. It limits discovery. In 1958, Dr. Eugene Parker discovered what we now call solar wind. At that time, his findings were rejected. He was just a 31-year-old professor at the University of Chicago. And he came up with this theory that didn't make sense to people, didn't jive with what we knew about space. What everyone at the time knew about space was that it was a vacuum. So it was impossible for things to leak out into this vacuum. It was impossible for the sun's coronal atmosphere to escape. That's what solar wind is. Today we identify solar wind as the main factor that controls terrestrial effects of space weather. This week, NASA honored Dr. Parker by naming him, naming a solar probe after him. This is the first time NASA has named anything after a living person. The same person that was rejected by the entire scientific community not so long ago. The same person everyone was certain was wrong. That kind of certainty limits discovery in our relationships too, right? We know people, we think we know what they're doing, and we, especially the people we really know well, like our spouses, maybe even our children. We know what we can expect from them, and we be, become blind to the familiar, blind to discovery. Today, Jesus is Emphasizing a shift from certainty to discovery. 
from the junk food of prideful isolation to the life-giving dependence on the bread of life, from certainty to grace. Grace is one of those churchy words that get tossed around a lot. It can be easily misunderstood, right? We hear the phrase, there but for the grace of God go I, which sounds like the divine is some ballet-trained puppeteer guiding our movements and keeping us from missteps. But the grace of God is the love that surrounds us, not because we are flawless, but despite the fact that we are clumsy and fall. The Episcopal Book of Common Prayer defines grace as God's favor toward us, unearned and undeserved. Through grace, God removes our spiritual face blindness, our shortcomings, our mistakes, our sins, things that keep us from God so that we can see the love eternal with us always. There's nothing that we do to deserve that love beyond being exactly who we are, children of God, or as the Apostle Paul calls us, the body of Christ. If this talk of grace, bread of life, body of Christ, makes you think of something, something that we do here, Every, every Sunday, a little thing called the Eucharist, you are not alone. In fact, the word Eucharist is partially derived from the Greek word charis, meaning grace. More accurately, Eucharist is tied to grateful or giving thanks. In the church, we understand sacraments, including and especially the Eucharist, as outward and visible signs of an inward and spiritual Grace. Communion is a symbol of grace, the practice of giving thanks by remembering the body of Christ, remembering the one who said, the bread I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. It is a practice of returning to a God that we do not always recognize. I don't believe that there are people with congenital spiritual blindness. I don't think people are born unable to perceive the divine among us. I think everyone can recognize God's grace in certain instances. And when we do get a glimpse of this grace, it opens us up to a new discovery. Many of you know that right after graduating seminary, I spent one year biking around the country in what I call the Carbon Sabbath, right? You guys remember this? We've talked about this from time to time. Biking around the country, I was hoping to engage Christian communities in dialogue about climate change, to raise some awareness and consider what it means to love God and neighbor in the face of climate change. That period was transformative to me, not because of anything that I did, 
but because I was dependent upon grace on a daily basis. I knew that I was not the one in control. I knew that my life was subject to the people I would meet. I knew that I was dependent upon the divine to guide my way. At some point every day, I felt like Elijah, huddled under bushes for shade as I crossed the desert, sweating over flat tires as I crossed the mountains in Montana, praying for mercy in the gravel as I vomited in New Mexico. I felt dependence on grace as every single semi-truck passed within inches of my skin as I cycled over 11,500 miles. But where I really felt that grace, where I most discovered grace in that journey, was with the people that I encountered. Every day I met people whose kindness, whose hospitality, made my life noticeably better. Noticeably easier. But the real kicker of that is who those people were. They were the people I used to call my enemies. They were managers of coal-powered power plants in Virginia. They were loggers in Northern California. They were climate deniers everywhere. When I started the trip, I thought I was going out to change them, to show them the error of their ways. And as I was going out, I was afraid of these people. I was afraid of what might happen when I came up to people who thought and felt differently than I did. I was certain that they were wrong. So I carried that certainty into fear. I could not recognize the people for who they were. But when I had to meet them and live with them and depend upon them, things changed. I was able to look past our differences and love them as they were. And that is grace. The grace of God is constantly leading, leading us to find love where we least expect it. Even when we encounter people that think differently than us, that we can't admire, the people that we cannot see this greater good in them, working at work in them, we have the opportunity to learn from our enemies. Lebanese poet uh, Khalil Gibran says, I learned silence from the talkative, tolerance from the intolerant, and kindness from the unkind. That is the power of grace we might not recognize. We only learn from the people who are different from us. People who are the same as us have nothing to teach us. 
That is the shift from certitude to grace. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The body of Christ is constantly offering itself for the life of the world. That is where God is calling us today, to offer ourselves the body of Christ to give grace to those we value least. That is grace. Amazing and unexpected. But life-sustaining. Amen. Amen.